Hello and welcome. I'm Eric. And I'm John. And this is the Wikipedia Chronicles. This is a podcast where we start with a random article, explore it, then follow the links and see where it takes us. John, what do you got? I have an interesting article. Um, it is called Unashamed Film. Hmm. But that's the title of the article. And then in the next paragraph down it says, Night Court is a 1932 American pre-code drama film directed by Harry Beaumont and written by Bayard Weiler. Uh, the plot section is empty. Wow. Uh, we have a whole list of characters and who portrayed them. However, there's nothing conclusive about what the title of this actually is. <laughs> so, uh, at the very least, it's interesting, if not brief. Uh, what do you got, Eric? Well, um... I will give you three guesses on what it could be. I'm going to start with Moth. It is not a Moth. Ah, man, some part of me was actually kind of hoping for Moth. It's been <laughs> a while. I feel like the Moths have like, yeah, gone true. south for the winter or something. Um, I am going to go with Town with no people in it. Nope. Oh, that's the second one. Okay. What's the third? There's another one that we've gotten quite a bit. Um... Uh, is it, um, I will say it's not a, it's not too distant of a relative of your article. Uh, is it an Indian movie? It is an Indian movie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. Okay. So, uh, let's, let's, let's hear it. What's the plot this time? Well, this one is called Barth of You. Okay. And it is a 1964 film directed by M. Krishnan Nair. And there's no plot. There's also no plot. There is a cast list. Okay. There is a soundtrack list. Mm -hmm. And there's, you know, crew members as cinematographer, written by, screenplay, all the stuff. But zero information about the plot whatsoever. See, that was kind of the the gem of any article about an Indian (laughs) film was to see what the plot was because regardless of how awful it sounded, they always managed to get some musical numbers in there, some dance numbers. Uh, I mean, the plot never made sense. A roller coaster ride. That was... (laughs) (laughs) Like, what tone is this movie going for? It didn't really seem to have one consistently because it it was pretty sad. The guy's... Guy's wife dies in the car accident. Okay, mm-hmm. well that's that's Mamadam Dambu. Yeah. On, on paper, that one was that um, was golden. Yeah, that was gold. Is what that was. <laughs> to read through that was just on paper. It was a mess. Yeah, it was a hot mess. Um, yeah, but uh, unfortunately, this one has no information about what it's about. 
Right, but at least your title of your article and the title of your movie match. Ah, uh, yes. Meanwhile, that is true. Mine. <laughs> this does not make sense. Yeah. Unashamed I... film. Night Court. <laughs> what, what's that? What's Night Court? You never. It's supposed to be unashamed. What are you talking about? And then. I don't know. But it stars a lady by the name of Helen Twelve Trees, so <laughs> I think that's worth seeing. Well, checking that out I, right now. Yeah, I would like to investigate your article and see what what's is going, going on here. Yeah, because it's a it's an MGM film. It's from a well-known studio. Like, there is hmm. no excuse for it to have just gone away without the internet knowing uh, anything, nary a peep of it. <laughs> Yes. Night Court. Unashamed. Night Court. <laughs> it doesn't say that Unashamed is Night Court. The title of the article is Unashamed. <laughs> Off to the right, above the directed by, screenplay by, starring cinematography credits, the title of the film is, said, it is stated to be Unashamed. But the very first thing in bold that you would normally read as the title of the movie in question is Night Court. <laughs> and we don't have a plot to help us figure out whether or not it should be a movie about <laughs> people not feeling guilt or if it should be a movie about some people potentially being made guilty, possibly at night. <laughs> um, yeah, I've never heard of any of the people involved in this film. Me neither, but they all have links. Yeah. Every last one of them, except for Thomas E. Jackson, all has a link to their name. So we have... And the, the only thing I recognize in this article, out of all of these potential links, is MGM. Yeah. There's pre-code... Yeah, what's what does that mean? I believe that is like the um, what was the official name of it? It was like the film code where they had like a um, kind of like a team of people who mm -hmm. would be where you would take your movie to, and they would be like, "All right, you have to cut this out. You have to cut this out. You can't have that or that." Oh. And people can't say "damn," and they can't show a toilet in the movie and oh, things like stuff. that and wow. before there was a rating system and they just told you no you cannot show this in a movie so this was before that appeared that is that is quite that that must mean that this must have like a plot omission because there must be something real bad <laughs> and Helen 12 trees I don't know <laughs> sounds porny <laughs> Is Joan Ogden. There's a Harry Swift. Well, there's a Judge Ambrose. That's a character name. So it does. So it, it must take place somewhere in, in a court. court. But what if somebody in that court isn't ashamed? <laughs> According to Turner Classic Movies, I have bounced off site. I apologize. <laughs> but it was one of the cited things. That's what I'm going off of. I'm not out Googling. The uh, movie says that it is also known as Without Shame. So now it has three titles. <laughs> that has resolved nothing. Um, it also says that a brief synopsis is a society girl for apostrophes <laughs> brother goes on trial for killing her lover. Hmm. The full synopsis is 
actually substantial. Why is there no plot section on Wikipedia for this movie? Here's another interesting little tidbit. If you go to the director's Wikipedia page, mm. Harry Beaumont has a list. Oh, it has selected filmography. And this unashamed film is not on there. Nor is Night Court, nor is Without Shame. Which is uh, probably pretty indicative of <laughs> why this movie may not be very well remembered. I'm not sure, but sure doesn't seem like people were very uh, very re- prone to remember this movie. We have stumbled across something truly forgotten by the <laughs> ravages of time. But not forgotten enough to not have a Wikipedia article. No. And I, I don't understand why the Wikipedia article is as incomplete as it is, though. There is a really uh, thorough synopsis of the plot over on Turner Classic Movies, which states that Joan Ogden, played by... Hell and Twelve Trees, that's our girl, is in love with Harry Swift, a gambler and polo player who is not in the same social class as Joan's family. Joan's brother Dick, who, though younger than Joan, is very protective of her, doesn't want her to associate with Harry. Joan's father, who has lovingly reared Joan since his wife's death, warns her to keep away from Harry because he's no good. But Joan is too much in love to give him up. When delicatessen owner Heinrich Schmidt goes to visit Mr. Ogden a few days later, Ogden is startled to learn that Schmidt is Harry's father. Hmm. Schmidt wants Joan to stop seeing his son, whose real name is August Schmidt so that he will go back to live with his father in their old neighborhood and forget about his acquired taste for luxury. (laughs) Despite Mr. Schmidt's plea, Joan remains adamant about Harry. Later, Harry goes to see his father to ask for $2,000 so that he can open an office. This is 1932. $2,000. Although... Schmidt is financially successful. He refuses to give Harry any more money. After they quarrel and then make up, however, Schmidt agrees. The next night, Harry goes to see Ogden and shows him the money, (laughs) pretending that he has made it from business deals. Ogden is still unimpressed, however, and tells him not to see Joan anymore. A short time later, Joan and Harry check into a hotel and spend the night together. The next morning, Harry tells Joan that her father will insist that they marry to save her reputation (laughs) and that the $3 million she is due to inherit will soon be theirs. Whoa. All right. (laughs) Somebody's planning some murders. He also tells her that he may may have to put on an act in front of her family, but no matter what happens, he loves her. Meanwhile... At the Ogden house, Dick is nearly hysterical when he discovers that Joan has been out all night. Though his father is certain everything is alright, Dick goes looking for her. While he is out, Joan and Harry arrive and tell Ogden what has happened. Instead of insisting on their marriage, however, he tells Joan that he will not let her make another mistake and that they will keep things quiet. Dick then comes home and confronts Harry, with whom he has a violent argument when Harry says that he will tell everyone that Joan spent the night with him. During the argument, Dick goes to get a gun, and when he returns, he shoots Harry. After Dick's arrest, his attorney, Henry Trask, 
wants to use the unwritten law defense, but Dick refuses to allow Joan to be humiliated in court. Joan, who now blames both Dick and her father for Harry's death, coldly refuses to help. During the trial, District Attorney Harris warns the all-male jury that there is no such thing as the unwritten law. Well, you don't say. <laughs> and evidence seems to point to premeditated murder. When Joan is on the witness stand, she testifies that Dick shot Harry for no reason at all. After which, Dick tells her whatever she has done, he still loves her. Uh, that night, Trask goes to Joan and describe what will happen if Dick is convicted and sent to the electric chair. Despite his words, she will not help Dick until she reads about executions in the newspaper. Remorseful, she then goes to Trask to beg him to let her help. He warns her that by saving Dick, she may ruin herself for life. But she says she must do whatever is necessary. Uh, on the stand, Joan pretends to be callous and immoral and makes the jury believe that Dick was merely punishing a man who had degraded his sister. When she leaves the stand, people in the courtroom shout insults at her and the jury acquits Dick. So wait, she goes on the stand and she says, Hey, so I'm sorry about what I said before. Um, but yeah, uh, Harry was actually an abusive person <laughs> and, uh, you know, he was a really bad dude and Dick was in his, within his right to, 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 to shoot. He was just trying to act on something. Uh, that he felt was a threat to, to his family. And the courts are like, Yeah, screw you, lady. How dare you? You, you, think, you think it's okay to come in here and tell us and to tell us that like your family member acted in, out of rage because like she, he thought you were in a bad situation? You, you, can, you can't come into a courtroom and tell, tell, tell us that your, your, your family was trying to help you out? Get out of here. Get out of here. You're stupid. Get out of here. We hate this. We hate this. This is the worst. <laughs> We were about to convict this guy. Now we can't do that. Yeah, get out of here. Like, they're calling her names is what they say. Like, they literally, <laughs> like, somehow that has ruined. I don't understand. <laughs> How did this ruin her? What? Why? What's going on? <laughs> anyway, um, Dick gets acquitted. And finally, Trask explains to Ogden and Dick that through Joan's sacrifice, Dick can go free and the Ogdens are a family again. Uh, okay. All right, well, kind of see why this one was <laughs> swept under the rug, but uh, where do you want to go from here? <clears throat> well, I will say I did a uh, Google search, mm -hmm. um, found a, uh, like, watch the film in its entirety online, and I can tell you that in the film itself, mm -hmm. it displays the title unashamed okay so, so we need to according fix this. to the film it is unashamed all right so night court starring uh <laughs> starring uh that that john guy you know who i mean john Larroquette. oh mm. uh, yeah <laughs> anyway how did it get fixed this with night court did somebody just like copy over the night court? I'm pretty sure. Thing? Was somebody like whoever was editing it just copied over the information from night court's thing? Now well, it's fixed now. Um, Done. Uh, so from here, 
Can I go see what what's up with this uh, twelve trees? Yeah, let's see what uh, twelve trees is into. Probably a forest. <laughs> Helen Marie Twelve Trees. It's an intense picture. Yeah. She's got, she's got a very that, intense stare. What, what is that above her? Is that? Oh, That's her hair. <laughs> I know it looks real is wavy, it? but it's not a sheet. It's actually hair. Oh, is that a oh. lamp? Or, I think she's sitting on a stove. Ah, uh, yeah. She's, she's it's like of, venting. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure she has a lot of product in her hair, so... Yeah, it's got a... It's a big hair dryer. Big, uh, 1933 era hair dryer. <laughs> so, this Helen Twelve Trees was an American movie actress who became a top female star through a series of women's pictures, quote-unquote, in the early 1930s. Hmm. Women's um, pictures. What's that? Was is uh, unashamed like, in that list of women's pictures? I guess. I mean, I guess she wasn't ashamed of the fact that she <laughs> spent one night at a hotel room with a guy that you know she actually did really seem to care for. <laughs> I guess she was also unashamed that she didn't want her brother to be electrocuted to death. Hmm. I guess she was also unashamed that she starred in that movie. <laughs> Night court, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, hmm. it doesn't. I feel like it's too early for it to be like a feminist thing. Yeah, I don't feel like feminism was a, a outright thing at that point in time yet. Maybe like the suffraging, the suffrage <laughs> movement was not too long before this. But yeah, at the same time, well, there is a link to women's pictures. So if we could. We decide that's the most interesting thing we can easily go over and figure that out. Alright, fair enough. Um, but she was born in Brooklyn. And she attended public school 119. I'm not privy to uh, 1910's New York and their public school system, but that's a strange name for school. Public school 119? Sounds more like a prison or something. Oh no no no! That's like Hey Arnold like uh, n- numbering of schools. Is it? Yeah, they they talk about PS. They're in PS two something, aren't they? In, in Hey Arnold. I don't know. Yeah, they 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 still have the PS numbers. Hmm. I think they might have changed that now, but like back in the day, that was the way their school system was set up. It was it was very prisonist prisonist <laughs> though. Yes, I'm sure. Um. So she was born Helen Marie Jurgens. So that's interesting that she became 12 trees, I guess, by way of marriage. But, so soon. Yeah, but... That, the name, I feel, serves her better as an actress. I think so, too. She also could have been Helen Woody and Helen Payne <laughs> because she was married Helen thrice. Payne. And 12 trees was the first person she married. So, like, you know... <laughs> Oh, wow. So in uh, 1919, I guess when she was nine years old, the apartment where her family lived caught on fire, and uh, her brother died in the fire, Hmm. and the rest of the family was rescued. And then after she graduated high school, uh, she went to... Arts Students League of New York 
and she studied there for a year before enrolling in the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. And then she met Clark Twelve Trees and married him in 1927 and then used that last name as her professional name. Hmm. Okay. That makes sense then. I'm sure once she established herself as a film actress, she probably didn't want to change her name again. Generally yeah. not a great thing to do when no. you've established your name in the industry. Yeah, well, to be fair, Clark Twelve Trees doesn't even have an art to him, so <laughs> I think she won that battle pretty handily. Yeah. Unashamedly, she for even, sure. She even got his art his articles in the settlement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Twelve Twelve Trees starred in several Lacrimose dramas, not all of which were critically acclaimed. When Pave was absorbed by RKO Radio Pictures, she found herself at various times miscast in mediocre films. With the arrival at Catherine Hepburn at RKO, Twelve Trees left the studio to uh, freelance. <laughs> because, you know, why are you trying to compete about against the Heps? Mm. That's yeah. just going to burn you. <laughs> the 1930 film Her Man set the course of her screen career. Uh, she was subsequently cast in a series of roles portraying suffering women fighting for the wrong men. <laughs> uh, later, she played opposite Spencer Tracy's in 1934's Now I'll Tell, <laughs> also known as When New York Sleeps. Man, did all of these movies have alternate titles? <laughs> yeah, Doctor Strangelove or How I Worried, How I Worried to Stop listening how i listen to stop how i or how i dr strange love <laughs> or how i worried to stop dr strange love <laughs> i worry i'm stopping oh i worry <laughs> i'm stopping to attempt this now um yeah that one but yeah i think i think a lot of them did birdman or the virtue of ignorance see that one's easy yeah that one's easy that one's right there I like Doctor Strange Love or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Oh, there it was! I did! Woo! Okay. That, it's one of those things you just have to power through and you'll, yeah. you'll do it. Yeah, you just have to not think if about you, what it yeah. is. Just <laughs> let it flow through you. May the fourth be with you. Um, Unashamed or Night Court. Or without shame. Um... She also co-starred in Paramount's A Bedtime Story with Maurice Chevalier. She also starred in two MGM films, one of which we uh, <laughs> already talked about, but another with induced author John Douglas Eames to note that she uh, had a gift for projecting emotional force with minimal visual, visible effort. Ooh, and then she traveled to Australia in 1936 mm-hmm. to star in the Sound Studios production, Thoroughbred, about the rise of the Melbourne Cup winning racehorse. And uh, filming was done in Bondi Junction, Sydney at the Sound Studios. And then she came back home to Brooklyn. And then she fell ill. And then... After she got better, she went and uh, did a USO production of The Man Who Came to Dinner. And then she made her final two films, 
persons in hiding and unmarried in 1939. When she was unmarried. Hmm. How about that? <laughs> 12 Trees left films in favor of Summerstock and made her Broadway debut in Jack Duvall's Boudoir in 1941. The play folded only after 11 performances and she largely retired after marrying for a third time. She continued to act occasionally and successfully essayed the role of Blanche Dubois in A Streetcar Named Desire in Summerstock in Seacliff, New York in 1951. Fellow cast member Naomi Clarell recalled that Trail Trees had the saddest eyes she had ever seen and that it was obvious that she had an extremely fragile psyche. And yep, like we mentioned before, she was married three times, and during the first marriage to Clark Twelve Trees, um, Clark attempted suicide by jumping out a window, and he was hospitalized and recovered, and then in 1930, uh, she filed for divorce, citing mental cruelty, and during the divorce trial, Twelve Trees claimed that Clark was an alcoholic who was drunk when they married and beat her on four occasions and their divorce became final in 1931 and then Clark died in 1938 of a skull fracture after striking his head on a curb when a man who witnessed him hitting a woman with whom he was arguing attempted to intervene sounds like he intervened alright sounds like he put an end to that guy yeah it's like, hey, stop hitting that woman. Bullshit. Uh, well, uh, I mean, uh, you stopped. <laughs> um. <laughs> Woof. Yeah. Uh, pretty brutal. Mm-hmm. But also probably a little bizarre. <laughs> um, Twelve Trees married real estate broker Frank Woody in April 1931. They had a son, Jack Brian Woody, born in October 1932, who became a wildlife biologist. She filed for divorce in 1936, and it was finalized the following month, uh, which would be April. Yep, and then uh, she married for the last time to farmer and Air Force Captain Conrad Payne. Uh... She married him in 1947. After their marriage, Twelve Trees occasionally acted in stage productions, but largely retired from acting. Spent her remaining years traveling around the world with her husband, who was stationed in the United States and Europe. Okay, so after they got married. But not after the actual I, marriage. I, I, you were, there th- was you so were much, thinking there was going to be a conclusion to that. There was so that. much divorce that yeah. I was just like, oh, so after they got divorced, then she did this stuff. No, not quite. Not quite that. Yeah. Her death occurred on February 13th, 1958, when she was found unconscious on the floor of her living room in Middletown, Pennsylvania, a suburb of Harrisburg. She was taken to the Olmsted Air Force Base Hospital. There's an Air Force Base close to Harrisburg? I guess. I don't recall seeing one. I've been to Harrisburg a few times. Uh, they have an airport, but it's just an airport hmm. as far as I know. Maybe it used to be an Air Force Base. Maybe. That could be. Um, Maybe they then decided, hey, we don't need an Air Force Base here. <laughs> I guess. And then they were like, you, want guys, you guys want to build an airport? And they're like, yeah, sure. <laughs> 
according to the county coroner, 12 Trees was suffering from a kidney ailment for some time and took an overdose of sedatives, but her death was ruled as a suicide. 12 Trees, 12 trees remains were later cremated. Her funeral service was attended only by her widower and a close friend. Her ashes were interred in a grave in Middletown Cemetery. The grave site was left unmarked until January 2013, at which point her surviving family placed a headstone. Oh. Jeez. <laughs> so we could go over there and we could check go, out her check it out. gravestone. Yeah. That's crazy. She didn't seem to be a terribly successful actress, though. Nonetheless, she doesn't yeah. have a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Hmm. Located at 6263 Hollywood Boulevard. Yeah, I can't say I've heard of any of the movies that she's been in. Yep. Likewise, some have some pretty great names, <laughs> like uh, The Cat Creeps. <laughs> or Is My Face Red? <laughs> Or, a woman of experience. Or disgraced <laughs> with an exclamation point. <laughs> All men are enemies. <laughs> Which is, uh, okay. Very bold statement. All men. There's a movie called One Hour Late. Story about the most uneventful pregnancy scare <laughs> uh, in the history of mankind. <laughs> um... <laughs> Uh, and yeah, uh, of course, finishing her career with unmarried when she got the idea to become unmarried (laughs) (laughs) until she got married again. Yeah. But by that time she had quit acting, so. Started having sedatives. Yep. Yep. Well, from here, where should we bounce to? We looked at women's pictures as yeah. potential right from the get-go. Could do that. We also have a mystery Air Force base that's pretty <laughs> close to where we live that yeah. we did not know about before. But, I mean, whichever one we think is more interesting here, hmm. whatever we're more in the mood for. I mean, Air Force bases, defunct or no, only lead to military. Right. Though. So... Hmm... Should we stay within our movies? Yeah, let's uh, let's go on over to women's pictures. Let's see what's up with that. All right, let's check it out. Women's pictures. Redirects to woman's film. It is a genre of film which includes women-centered narratives, female protagonists, and is designed to appeal to a woman, a female audience. So it's film for women, basically. For women, by men. <laughs> yeah. Um, women's films usually portray, quote-unquote, women's concerns, <laughs> such as problems revolving around domestic life, the family, motherhood, self-sacrifice and romance <laughs> these films that's the only one with the link yeah rom- <laughs> that's because <laughs> uh, uh, I don't actually know what that is um, these films were produced from the silent era through the 1950s and the early 1960s but they were most popular in the 1930s and 40s reaching their zenith during World War 2 hmm 
Although Hollywood continued to make films characterized by some of the elements of the traditional woman's film in the second half of the 20th century, the term itself disappeared in the 1960s. The work of directors George Cukor, Douglas Sirk, Max Offels, and Josef von Sternberg <laughs> has been associated with the films, with the woman films genre. Joan Crawford, Bette Davis, and Barbara Stanwyck were some of the genre's most prolific stars. Those are some pretty recognizable names. Yeah. I know those people. And the beginning of the genre can be traced back to D.W. Griffith's silent films. Uh, film historians and critics defined the genre and canon in retrospect. Before the women's film became an established genre in the 1980s, many of classi- the classic women's films were referred to as melodramas. Ah. ah. I was going to say, so, I was going to be really confused <laughs> there for a second. Basically, I guess they this is Lifetime the movies. Yeah, before <laughs> Lifetime. Yeah. And then when they were like in the 80s, they were sitting around brainstorming, what would be a good cable network? Remember those movies from the 30s? You know, those, those, those movies, the women, the, the women's movies. <laughs> we should make a channel about those. <laughs> when the women's film was still at a nascent stage. It was not regarded as a fully independent genre. Mary Ann Doe Ann Doe, for example, argued that the woman's film is not a pure genre because it is crossed and informed by a number of other genres such as melodrama, film noir, the gothic, and the horror film. Similarly, film scholar Scott Simon argues that the woman's film has remained elusive to the point of having its very existence questioned. I think he got that confused with something else, but I'm not at liberty to say what that might be here. This elusiveness, he argues, is partially due to the fact that the woman's film is an oppositional genre which can only be defined in opposition to male-centered genres like the westerner and the gangster film. It has also been noted that it is a critically rather than industrially constructed genre having been defined in retrospect rather than at the time of the film's production. The woman's film was seen as closely related to even synonymous with melodramas. Other terms commonly used to describe the woman's film were the ones we already mentioned, like romance and drama. Uh, since the late 1980s, the woman's film has been an established genre. Justine Ashby said that uh, a, a trend in British cinema that she calls generic eclipse, <laughs> whereby films that adhere to all the fundamental tenets of the woman's film are subsumed under other genres. Uh, millions like us and 2,000 women for example, have been described and promoted as war films rather than women's films. Mm. But they're women's films. <laughs> so the women's film differs from other genres in that it is primarily addressed to women. Uh, that's part of the whole deal. Uh, cinema historian Janine Basinger argues that the first of three purposes of the women's film is to place a woman at the center of the story universe. Um, 
In most other, and particularly male-oriented films, genres, the opposite is the case, as women and their concerns have been assigned minor roles. Molly Haskell explains that if a woman hogs this universe unrelentingly, it is perhaps her compensation for all the male-dominated universes from which she has been excluded. The gangster film, the western, the war film, the policier, the rodeo film, the adventure film. And the second purpose of the woman's film, according to Basinger, is to reaffirm in the end the concept that a woman's true job is that of being a woman. A romantic ideal of love is presented as the only career that will guarantee happiness and uh, that women should aspire to. The third purpose of the genre, as suggested by Basinger, is to provide a temporary visual liberation of some sort, however small, an escape into a purely romantic love, into sexual awareness, into luxury, or into the rejection of the female role. Basinger argues that if the majority, that the majority, if not only, action of the woman's film and its biggest source of drama and tragedy is the necessity to make a choice. The heroine will have to decide between two or more paths that are equally appealing, but mutually exclusive. For example, romantic love and a fulfilling job. One path will be right and consistent with the film's overall morality, and the other path will be wrong, but it will provide liberation. And as the film's heroines were punished for following the wrong path and ultimately reconciled to their roles as women, wives, and mothers, Basinger argues that women's films cleverly contradict themselves and easily reaffirm the status quo for the woman's life while providing little releases, small victories, or even big releases, big victories. Well, yes and no. (laughs) The big... I don't know what the big victories are. Small victories, sure, but <laughs> ultimately you're blinding yourself to a system of oppression. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, you know, this is what you get when you have men making movies, movies for, for women. women. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just becomes Hey, here like, you go. Here, All here. <laughs> believe this. Believe it. Believe this. And if women you are see like, women hey. doing this, then, you know... Yep. It's probably, and you know, they're, they're nationally distributed women, nationally distributed stories of women that, that, that do this. So, you know, it's probably <laughs> a thing you should do, right? Yep. Like, yeah, well. Now, now we know better, do we? <laughs> Find out at this year's Oscars. <laughs> well, that pretty well uh, puts a dent in what this is yeah um we've got uh some a list of some women's films down here that i've heard of quite a few of them uh it happened one night is a very good one and uh gone with the wind is one that i've heard of and the women, I've heard of that one. Um, Mildred Pierce, All About Eve, All That Heaven Allows. The Bend It Like Beckham, Fried Green Tomatoes. 
Oh. Revived genre ones, yeah. I wasn't just waxing philosophical <laughs> over here. I was reading the later part of the list. Yeah. Ridley Scott's Alien. Yep. Yep, that's a great, great woman's hey. film. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Albeit, still is one. Yeah. Carrie. Mm-hmm. Carrie. <laughs> it's really, really a good one right there. Gone mm. with the Wind. Yep. Got a link to Doppelganger on here. It's pretty cool. Nice. Also got a link to Depression and Hysteria. <laughs> well, yeah, that's one of the parts that... Uh, you read that sentence, to the key characteristic yeah <laughs> female madness occurs where uh and they, they because they were frequent plot elements in hollywood's women's films of the 1940s uh because hollywood tried to incorporate aspects of psychoanalysis <laughs> the uh possessed in 1947 and johnny belinda in 1948 both have segments where mental health is very visually represented by beauty and mental illness uh, by an unkept appearance. <laughs> health was restored if the female protagonist improved her appearance. <laughs> so they well, just use it as a vehicle to further reinforce... Be beautiful, uh, nothing yeah. else is acceptable. Exactly. Which is just, all right, well, <laughs> make it sleazier. Yep. Again, this is what happens when you have men directing your women films. So where do we want to go? That is the question, isn't it? I mean, we have so many options from here. This is interesting. In the see also section, there is women's cinema. Which is apparently a different thing from women's film. As is a chick flick different. (laughs) Although I don't really necessarily understand how. Yeah. Because it would be a film that would reaffirm a woman who was probably heterosexual, going after a guy. It wasn't like the wrong guy or anything. He's just, you know, a guy. Yeah. He's probably like doing some sort of stupid thing, either being ignorant or being hard to get. And the ladies, so it's like, my life's centered around you now. <laughs> because it should be. Because a man wrote this. So I, like, that's, I'm going to drop everything. I'm going to do stupid stuff and move across <laughs> countries to, to be with you because of generations of Hollywood telling us to do that. And yep. yeah, that's, that's, that's what a chick flick is, right? I'm pretty sure. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> so, uh, is that different? Am I missing something? Oh, oh, oh. The woman doesn't have to fall psychologically ill if she doesn't look good. <laughs> That's right. That chick, the, difference, the main difference, it seems to me, between a chick flick and uh, one of these women's films would have to probably be that, like, the man would say, in a woman's film, you look insane, and she would have to go put makeup on. And then she would be beautiful and it'd be fine. <laughs> but if she was in a chick flick, she could be like crying in pajamas or some crap. And then the guy would be like, oh, baby, you're beautiful no matter what. <laughs> and then it would just be like an aw moment. And then they would, you know, kiss and make up and whatever. That's the difference. Yeah. The man, the man character in the chick flick has some degree of understanding. <laughs> not, not great, but like... Yeah. <laughs> 
Not enough to call her out and say, like, you know, half the stuff that you've done to make this relationship work is really, like, kind of crazy. Um, <laughs> not, like, that kind of removed, but, but like, at least just, like, appreciative, I guess? Maybe? A little Maybe. bit more? <laughs> Maybe. Like, at least they've shedded some of the cosmetic requirements. I mean, <laughs> shoot. Yeah, now they, they've just shifted it to... Like, Societal un- Unrealistic. <laughs> cultural cultural yeah. standards instead. Yeah. Uh, I am legit confused though. Like, what's women's cinema? Is that that's probably like the feminist one, right? That's the one where it's like cinema for women. Maybe like it's like thought-provoking pieces. Let's check that one out. All right, let's see. Oh, look at that! Ah, so this is the, the gender symbol other side where the women are the ones creating these films. So there's women's films and women's cinema. Not confusing. Not confusing a bit. Yep, so... Women's cinema is when you got... Women are the screenwriters, the directors, costume designers, actors, etc. So... Yeah. Example of this would be Twilight. (laughs) Um... I guess, I guess so. I yeah. guess it's a step forward. <laughs> oh, no. I think I don't. I it, actually it don't not, know. It might not send the woman any better doing, of a message, but at least it's it's got women. the women involved. It's all women. <laughs> it's all from the woman's perspective. It's written I guess by a woman. maybe you have to give him a break because for you know what hundred years they've been taught this is the way things are. I guess. And then maybe took a while to be like hey wait a minute we can do not that except they did do just that <laughs> just being women this time instead of being men so yeah. it's worse <laughs> in some regard so it's women pulling the wool over other women's eyes <laughs> which is i i don't know that feels like just traitorous yeah that's that's some expat stuff right there <laughs> um so Many, it does say, though, that many films created by women are not heavily focused on the woman and femininity. Mm. Femininity. Blech. <laughs> As expected by most viewers. I wasn't saying leh towards femininity. I was saying leh because it's a hard word to say. Leave yeah. me alone. Uh, but created to assert messages that uh, would be impactful to critical audiences. All right. Alice Guy Blaché. The first female director debuted La Fée aux Choux in 1896. Wow. Women have been in this game for a while. <laughs> she continued her work in silent film following 700 additional films with production what? locations in France and the United States. Those early film those early film people were nuts. <laughs> they were bogus productive. Yep. When nothing else has been done, I guess you really can. Like you just like you just go out and you film stuff. You just film, man. Yeah. Also helps me out the masquerading sound. Or do any special effects. Or really have to like worry about casting because all the people that you have in your cast just kinda, you know, show up for work and they make a bunch of motions in front of a set that you've built, and it doesn't really matter what they are because it's silent. So I mean all of that really kind of probably makes the whole process a whole whole lot easier. Says that in the 20s, though, large banks had assumed control of Hollywood production companies, mm. and production supervisors began to standardize filmmaking. 
the introduction of sound demanded new investments which further increased the control of banks. In 1929, Hollywood accepted a list of taboos, which was later to become the Hayes Code. Hayes Code, that's what it was. That's the one. Any unconventional filmmaker had a hard time. Women filmmakers could afford economic failures even less than before. Dorothy Arzner was the only woman filmmaker to survive in this unfriendly (laughs) environment. Only filmmaker, wow. Yeah, and she only did so by producing well-made but formerly rather, rather conventional films. Nevertheless, she succeeded in smuggling in feminist elements to her films. Citation wow. needed. <laughs> Dorothy at Arzner. Dorothy Arzner. I'm curious as to what she has done then. Merrily We Go to Hell was one of hers. <laughs> I have not heard of any of these movies. Nope. Me neither. <laughs> There's one called Ten Modern Commandments. Interesting. I guess most of these are silent movies, so... Yeah. Not too up on some, what, you know... Some have sound, I've, like I've the ones in the like 40s. one or maybe up to five silent movies in my life. I do want to maybe check out his code. You want to go there? Want to go bounce over there and see what that's about? I kind of do, because I want to see if they have, like, a list of things that they wouldn't allow. Alright. Let's go see what the haze going on. <laughs> the MPPC or Motion Picture Production Code was the set of industry moral guidelines that was applied to most United States motion pictures released by major studios from 1930 to 1968. 38 years of pure regulated chaos. (laughs) It is also popularly, albeit inaccurately, known as the Hayes Code after William H. Hayes, who was the president of the Motion Picture Producers and Distributors of America from 1922 to 1945. Under Hayes' leadership, the... Later known as the Motion Picture Association of America, better known as the MPAA, adopted the production code in 1930 and began strictly enforcing it in 1934. The production code spelled out what was acceptable and what was unacceptable content for motion pictures produced for public audiences in the United States. And eventually they were bumped down to only doing trailers. (laughs) Yep. Or I guess ratings. Ratings in general, yeah. yeah. But at least allowing... And then yeah. focusing on dividing it up into appropriations. Yeah. Okay, so let's see. What what brought about this code? Got uh, In 1922, after several risque films and a series of off-screen scandals involving Hollywood stars, the studios enlisted Presbyterian elder William Will H. Hayes to rehabilitate Hollywood's image. Hollywood in the 1920s was badgered by a number of widespread scandals, such as a the murder of William Desmond Taylor and alleged rape of Virginia Rapay. Okay, weird. By popular movie star Roscoe Fatty Arbuckle. Oh, I didn't know he was uh, accused of rape. Uh, but this brought about 
brought widespread condemnation from religious, civic, and public political organizations. I've heard of Fatty Arbuckle before. Yeah, I have no idea who that dude is. <laughs> <laughs> but he looks, he looks vaguely rapey. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, just having no oh, yeah. former basis. It is believable <laughs> when you just yeah, that picture is not <clears throat> not, the, not the not the most flattering, no. Yeah. Actually all of his portraits here are like Well <laughs> <laughs> This guy is somebody to keep an eye on. <laughs> he does just look like he's just very like up to something most of the time. But whatever. Okay. Yeah. But um yeah. So, a lot of people at the time were feeling that the movie industry was morally questionable, and there was political pressure increasing, and um, movie censorship bills that were getting, you know, introduced. Wow. So then, uh, Hayes was paid $100,000 a year, which comes out to 1.4 million dollars adjusted for inflation <laughs> um, Hayes was a postmaster general under Warren Harding and former head of the Republican National Committee served at, for 25 years as president of the MPPDA where he defended the industry from attacks recited soothing nostrums and negotiated treaties to cease hostilities Wow. So he was more of like a diplomat at the time. I Basically, guess. yeah, he was the really well-paid guy who went around to make sure that movies weren't movies, and I guess also movie stars weren't yeah. angering one another. So it kind of almost sounds like, uh, you know, uh, the guy from the oh yeah from uh, Hail Caesar. Yeah, what's his name? The Eddie Mannix. Eddie Mannix. Yeah, yeah it sounds kind of similar to that guy. Yeah, he just worked. He was yeah, he was the guy who worked for like a studio. Yeah. But this guy was like the more but neutral yeah, this, version. This is, yeah. Huh. The move uh, mimicked the decision Major League Baseball had made in hiring Judge Kennesaw Mountain Landis <laughs> as league commissioner the previous year to quell questions about the integrity of baseball in the wake of the 1919 World Series gambling scandal. The New York Times even called Hayes the Screen Landis. <laughs> in 1924, Hayes introduced a set of recommendations dubbed The Formula, which the studios were advised to heed and asked filmmakers to describe his office the plots of each picture they were planning of making. The Supreme Court had already decided unanimously in 1915 in Mutual Film Corporation versus Industrial Commission of Ohio that free speech did not extend to motion pictures, and while there had mm. been token attempts to clean up the movies before, such as when the studios formed the National Association of the Motion Picture Industry, or NAMPI, in 1916, little had come of the efforts. And uh, New York actually became the first state to take advantage of the Supreme Court's division or decision by instituting a censorship board in 1921, followed by Virginia and then um, a bunch of other states. And many of these were ineffectual. And uh, 
By the 1920s, a new, the New York stage, a frequent source of subsequent screen material, had topless shows, performances filled with curse words, mature subject matters, and sexually suggestive dialogue. In other words, a Shakespeare play. <laughs> uh, early in the sound system conversion process, it became apparent that what might be acceptable in New York would not be so in Kansas. And uh, so in 1927, Hayes suggested to studio executives that they form a committee to discuss film censorship. And they uh, called the list Don'ts and Be Carefuls, which was based on items that were challenged by local censor boards. And the list consisted of 11 subjects best avoided and 26 to be handed, handled very carefully. The list was approved by the FTC and Hayes created the Studio Relations Committee to oversee its implement. However, there was still no way to enforce tenets. The controversy surrounding the film standards came to a head in 1929. Now we get to the fun part. <laughs> the list of don'ts and be carefuls. <laughs> the code enumerated a number of key points known as the don'ts and the be carefuls. Resolved that those things which are included in the following list shall not appear in pictures produced by the members of this association irrespective of the manner in which they are treated. I.e. the don'ts. <laughs> Number one out of eleven. Pointed profanity by either title or lip, which includes the words God, Lord, Jesus, Christ, unless they be used reverently in connection with proper religious ceremonies. Hell, damn, God, G-A-W-D, and every other profane and vulgar expression, however it may be spelled, because I guess they were too sheepish They, they started to, writing out all these... And they were like, and they were like uh, there's a lot of swear words. Let's just say all the we'll swears. Just, yeah, just, just say, say all, all the, the rest of them. You know what they are. You know the cusses. All the cusses. No cusses. Uh, two, any licentious or suggestive nudity Nudity. Nudie? Wow. Okay. In fact, or in silhouette, and any lecherous or licentious notice thereof by other characters in the picture. So, like, they can't mention that I might be naked or something? Like, don't come in here. Taking a bath. Yeah, I like, guess. Okay. Uh, three, the illegal traffic in drugs. Four, any inference of sex perversion. Five, White slavery. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, wow. it's early 1920s, late uh, Hollywood. I, I don't know yeah. what I was expecting, yeah. but they only banned the, the, the depiction well, of whites. <laughs> just, just wait till you get to the next one. Oh no! What is that? What is is this word? Miss. There's a reason I don't know. It's because it it soon became not a thing. Yeah. Uh, miscegenation, which is relationships, it's an interracial relationship. You can't yep. have an interracial relationship that was illegal in movies um, back then. Uh, seven is sex hygiene and venereal diseases. <laughs> so don't don't show anything about sex hygiene I guess. or VD, which 
Doesn't, don't that, you that actually be a want thing that you want to? Don't you actually want you to worry about that out there? I feel like that would be a good thing to. I thought to maybe. <laughs> um, scenes of actual childbirth, <laughs> in fact, or in silhouette. That might be a good thing. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> um, number nine. Uh, children's sex organs. When did you say it was okay to show anybody's sex organs? Why is it thing that? Why, why is you that a thing that has to be on this yeah. list? Like, is that like something sure? that was so prevalent that they were like, okay, let's not serve these right. things anymore? Like, I, I don't know why that was a problem. <laughs> okay, this is, a, this is a weird time. <laughs> yeah. uh, Ten ridicule of the clergy. <laughs> Ironically, right below children's sex organs. Okay. Yeah. That would, that would come to bite them in the face in about 100 years if this kept up. Um, 11. Willful offense to any nation, race, or creed. Oh. Interesting. Okay. So. Any nation, race, or creed. So zero, zero interracial relationships. That is cannot be a thing. But, but you can also not make fun of black people. That's also right. a thing. That's also a thing. <laughs> That's true. And then there's also, you can not make fun of America, but you also can't make fun of Hitler. <laughs> so, I'm not sure how that one worked out. Probably and you not. can't make fun of the clergy. All or right. any other people. <laughs> Alright, Eric, you want to take the list of the... Uh, let's, let's, I'll, I'll take on the... And be, it, the and be, be careful. further resolved, <laughs> the, that special care be exercised in the manner in which the following subjects are to be treated, to the end that vulgarity and suggestiveness may be eliminated, and that good taste may be emphasized. Also known as the be carefuls. Alright, so be careful the use of the flag. Which one? Hurricane flags? Don't want to let know. I think you know which flag. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the flag. Not the. a flag. Not one of those flags. Capital it's T, the, the flag. The flag. <laughs> uh, number two, international relations. Uh, avoiding picturizing in, the un- in an unfavorable light another country's religion, history, institutions, prominent people, and citizenry. But didn't you just say that in the last thing? Wasn't that literally... Yeah, that was, that was a don't. That, that was, was a don't do that? Do not offend. Don't do yeah. that, but also be careful when you end up doing it anyway. <laughs> okay, good job, Liz. <laughs> Number three, be careful of arson. <laughs> That's true. You want to watch out for that. Number four, the use of firearms. Uh-huh. So, yes. you know... Be careful about that. Bruce Lee found you know? out that out. <laughs> he, he, he found out. So or, like no, 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 Bruce Lee. This kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brandon. Brandon. Yeah. So people on set were like, all right, so we have, in this scene we have a guy with a gun, and who are they shooting? Uh, is this a thing to be careful of? Is this... Just don't. Who's... who's <laughs> don't Where's kill the him. line of... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Number five, theft, robbery, safe cracking, and dynamiting of trains, mines, buildings, etc. Having in mind the effect which a too detailed description of these may have upon the moron. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Upon the moron. God. Oh, man. Uh, number six, brutality and possible gruesomeness. Mm-hmm. Possible gruesomeness. Kind of still upheld movies today. Yeah. 
Number seven, technique Hallelujah. of committing murder by whatever method. Well, far go through that one into what Chipper did this. Number eight, methods of smuggling. Well, money and fun through that one into what Chipper did it. Number nine, third degree methods. Like burns? Are those like the bad third? methods? Because <laughs> third degree burns the worst kind. Third degree methods. Third degree method might be the worst method. <laughs> like the ones you have to get hospitalized for. Well, those so are don't, some bad don't show the, don't show the worst method or like, like the the kind of bad methods. It doesn't like because the article only takes you to the integration of the, the, the of what degree the third degree is. It's the worst one, <laughs> but it doesn't tell you what. Okay, I give up. There's nothing for me to follow here. There's nothing for me to do. Number ten. Actual hangings or electrocutions as legal punishment for crime. Okay, but so illegal ones, you reckon? I guess, like stoning. Well, I guess, stones, I guess they covered that one in the, the gruesome, in the gruesome one. Right. So stoning isn't gruesome. <laughs> okay. Uh, eleven. Sympathy for criminals. <laughs> well, Breaking Bad, I guess. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody. 12. Attitude toward public characters and institutions. Number 13. Sedition. Mm-hmm. Sedition. What is sedition? The uh, act of sedition is overt conduct, such as speech that tend towards, tends towards insurrection and anarchy. Ah. Yeah. Okay. Number 14. Apparent cruelty to children and animals. Apparent cruelty. Right. Not actual cruelty. No. Uh, 15. Branding of people or animals. Number 16. The sale of women or of a woman selling her virtue, which is a fancy term for prostitute. No prostitutes. <laughs> so no saloons, I guess. Okay. Yep. Number 17. Rape or attempted rape. Oh, both. Yeah. Okay. They wanted to cover their bases on that one. Gotcha. It's like, no rape, but then people are like, <laughs> nope, no, 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 <laughs> no, none no, of that. None either. of that. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> Number 18, first night scenes. <laughs> what is what, first night scenes? Third degree method. It's first really night go like, out of their way to. No, no, hold on. No. I think first night I can get this. First night's the first night you're with somebody, like, carnally. Like, I is believe that? that is... Like, like they're saying, like, the first night of marriage types. Like, you can't show the first night of marriage because you know what's going to go on. I guess. Is that what they're saying? Is that what they're is saying? It, are they just saying the first night in general? Because you're going to assume, oh, I know what they're doing, or I know what they're going to do. Yeah. Or is it just, like, you can't specifically show that part of the first night? I would hope it would just be that part because, like, what about the dates and stuff? Like, isn't that half the movie? Yeah. It's like they're they're at the wedding and it's like, oh, no, the sun's going down. We can't show the rest of this scene. Turn into a pumpkin. <laughs> um, oh, right after that, we have 19 men and women in bed together. Well, I guess that explains that. Yeah. <laughs> Number 20, deliberate seduction of girls. Uh-huh. <laughs> so no flirting? I guess. Well, well, when does seduction become deliberate? How do you have a romantic cat movie? Is cat calling? Cat calling is deliberate seduction of girls. Yeah, I guess. So that 
you know, you can't have any construction so, workers in your movies. No construction worker stereotypes. How were there characters. women's films without seduction that? aspect and romantic pursuit? Oh, no, no, no. You have to understand, Eric. Those women were hopelessly in love <laughs> with those men. They couldn't do anything ah, but be in yes. love with those men because they were just so over, head over heels for them. That's true. That, that, that had nothing to do with it, with the men deliberately being that sexy. <laughs> oh, like, I guess this is the be carefuls though. Yeah. So it's not outright it's not don't. Outright done. It's be careful about. Okay, yeah, we need to keep that in mind. This is not like specifically don't do these things. It's be careful, be careful about. about how you right. handle these situations. And number 21, the institution of marriage. So be careful. And number 22, surgical operations. Definitely be careful. Yeah, <laughs> be careful. 23, the use of drugs. Ah. 24, titles or scenes having to do with law enforcement or law enforcing officers. So is... Titles specifically, like the movie title, or is it like a different thing? Uh, probably titles, like mm. like the bad cop, or like or like the stinky policeman, or like <laughs> or like the fla- the the flagrant, uh, the flatulent, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 beat. Cop, <laughs> or 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 yeah, I'm done. <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> Twenty-five excessive or lustful kissing, particularly when one character or the other is a heavy, <laughs> a heavy person, <laughs> quote unquote heavy. If you hold uh, your mouse over it, it explains that it is a criminal. So you shouldn't have shouldn't have hot wet kisses with criminals. Is what it's saying. <laughs> Man, or you should be careful about it. Yes, be careful about that. I feel like the be careful section could be very troublesome. It's like I would rather have a don't or do than be careful because then it's like, well, what's too much then? That is kind of, yeah. And also, some of these things on here, they could have been a little more specific. First night scenes, yeah. third degree methods. <laughs> what are the, what are those? <laughs> but I guess they were, they were more trying to say, be careful of these things, because they were like, these things can be portrayed, but they want, they, 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 they as a matter of fact, they wanted these things to eventually be portrayed in movies, but they wanted them right. to carry a very specific kind of tone right that would kind of toe along the the line of like cultural and legal mm. uh culture uh and sort of further instill them upon people whenever they saw the movies that kind of thing yeah and to that extent it kind of makes sense like some of it's pretty stupid like <laughs> you can't see the the first night together or like you have to be careful about that like uh, okay we get it like just don't because we already have a list of things we can't show. Yeah. Which, again, it doesn't actually say that you can't show genitals. I don't know where that came from. Like, like adult genitals. That's true. They are it not banned. Wait. Oh, not wait, even... wait. It does say nudity. 
Right. There's so wait, don't, wait, wait, wait. Why is nudity. there a don't do nudity and also chi- children's sex <laughs> organs? Is it because... That's even... Yeah, that's even why worse. Why like, is that broken out? Yeah. <laughs> from the other, it's, it's all inclusive it's in all, nudity. It's, nudity is the whole thing. It's everybody's <laughs> whole thing. That's <laughs> the whole you. You shouldn't have to be like... Also, don't show child nudity in no. addition to regular uh, like, Okay, all right. We can't. Uh, we weren't going to do that. <laughs> That's not... wasn't really in our wheelhouse to begin with. But okay. <laughs> what a weird thing. Yeah. But eventually, this whole thing fell apart. And let's see, that was... What? Let's go down to... I feel like there was a specific film that was the first thing. Um, well, it looks like eventually people just stopped caring about taking it to the code to get it approved and yeah, it started just out. kind of started making more and more like crazy films that would have easily been you know, shot down. Uh, in 1966, one example that stands out is uh, the release of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, which was the first film to feature a suggested for mature audiences label. Hmm. Uh, he was uh, Jack Valenti became president of the MPAA in the same year, and he was faced with censoring the film's explicit language. Uh, Valenti negotiated a compromise. The word screw was removed, (laughs) but other language remained, including the phrase hump the hostess. Wow. Yep. The code, uh, production code received approval despite the previously prohibited language. So that was kind of just like, uh, and that's also, it also kind of was lended to by way of the, uh, Supreme Court decision in 1952 in the case of Joseph Burstyn Inc. versus Wilson, uh, where the Supreme Court unanimously overruled its 1915 decision and held that motion pictures were entitled to First Amendment protection. So that was, um, yeah, that was a pretty big reversal. Yeah. But yeah, so it, it was in the late 1960s that enforcement had become impossible. Because I'm sure, like, as the years go on, mm-hmm. more and more movies just get made. So by sheer volume and people stopping, like, stop caring about, you know, getting approval, like, they're just like, all right, this isn't working anymore. Let's change up what we're doing. Exactly. And so uh, they started working on a rating system and... Um, this way, people could still make the movies, whatever movies they want, but they would just be rated for the appropriate audience. And this went into effect November 1st, 1968, with four ratings. One was G for general audiences. One was M for mature content. We have R for restricted. Nobody under 17 is allowed without an adult. And then X for sexually explicit content. And um, so in 1969, the Swedish film I Am Curious Yellow (laughs) was initially banned in the U.S. for its frank depiction of sexuality. However, it was overturned by the Supreme Court 
and in 1970, because of the confusion over the meaning of mature audiences, the M rating was changed to GP. <laughs> uh. And then in 1972, it was changed to its current PG. Parental oh. guidance suggested. Oh, wait. What? So, GP, so, what did GP mean? Guided, guided by... Gu- guided by parentals. <laughs> I don't know. Because <laughs> if PG is parental guidance suggested, then GP must be guidance parental suggested. <laughs> Something I, don't, I can't tell you. I have no idea. Hmm. But then... In 1984, in response to public complaints regarding the severity of horror elements in PG-rated titles such as Gremlins and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, as we have discussed before, or did we? No, that uh, no, is in yeah, the future. We, we, yeah, we discussed, it, <laughs> we discussed it in the future from now. Yes. Yes. We'll discuss it in a few, few years. Don't worry about it. Uh, the PG-13 rating was then created as a middle tier between PG and R. So, and then 1990, the X rating was replaced by NC-17, which is, you know, nobody under 17 is allowed at all, regardless of whether they're with a parent or not. So, yeah. So that's how we got the rating system we have today. Also, fun fact about the X rating... Partially, it was also changed because the MPAA didn't have that one copyrighted, the X rating, so <laughs> pornographic stores started using it to denote how, like, extremely bad their pornographic films were, uh, using such terminology as X, double X, and triple X in order to market their products, so to kind of distance <laughs> themselves from the adult industry, <laughs> they were like, okay. Yeah. Which is a shame, because personally, I think X is a way cooler rating. Yeah. Than it's, NC-17. It's a lot more, yeah, like to the point. Yeah, like, it's just like don't, just yeah. don't do it. Just don't. NC-17 just sounds like a Star Trek ship. Yeah, <laughs> it really it sounds like one of the first ones. It's like a really lame, like like eh, this thing could do about half of a warp speed. <laughs> like it can get to Mars eventually. It'll take. We'll get to months. Mars in a couple couple uh, you know. Take months. a couple years. <laughs> take a couple years, but you know we be stocked up. <laughs> we have enough provisions on here to last two more days, then we'll take our mission. It's like the clunky tractor trailer chugging up a hill. <laughs> <laughs> and then the sleek sports car comes along and travels across the universe. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. There you have it. From unashamed film to motion picture production code. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Unashamed, and then they slap a lot of shame on, <laughs> on yeah. things. Yep, that's basically what happened. <laughs> uh, so go ahead and uh, visit facebook.com slash podcast. Give us a like and follow. Go over to iTunes and rate and review us. And you can also find new episodes on our website, twc.erictoribio.com. And I'd like to thank Louis Armstrong for our theme song and Blind Lemon Jefferson for our outro song. Love me some Blind Lemon. <laughs> Uh, thanks again for joining us. I was Eric. And I was John. And this was the Wikipedia Chronicles. Well, it
girl a half a pint of gin. The gin is mighty fine, some biscuits a little too thin. Baby, tell me something about the meatless and wheatless days. I want to know about those meatless and wheatless days. It's not being my home, I don't think I could stay. Ooh. 